if you don't just listen. Um, I was glad in the job description you asked for a preacher to preach the Bible. Um, all of it, because um, tonight's theme is quite unpopular because it's about, a lot of it is about judgment. And I'm not here to, you didn't ask for a guy to come and be popular with everyone. You asked for a guy to come and preach the Bible. So that's what I've done. It's not a popularity contest for me being here. So I will not pull back on the bits of the Bible which culture in 2019 and 20 feels repulsive. I want us to make sure the Jesus that we say we worship and love is the correct Jesus. And the fact of the matter is, he is a Jesus who will judge evil. Evil in the world, evil in people, evil even in nature. He's one day going to deal with it and remake it. And we really see that coming through in Psalms 1 and 2. So um, before we come to the communion table, I want us all to think, have we got the right Jesus? And if we're going out with the message to rescue the world, do we know it ourselves? And do we trust him in these difficult passages? So, last week I told us that Psalms is the hymn book of the ancient church, and it's better than um, Elvis Presley's music, and um, some people at the door said about Elvis, I oh know, um, the Beatles, it's even better than them. This is the songbook of the ancient church, and there are four main characters which interact in all 150 Psalms, and if it was interactive tonight, I'd go, do you remember what? And then you'd go, yeah. One character was the Lord. The next was the Christ. Also in Psalm 1, he's called the blessed man. Okay, and we looked at that. Then there's another group called the righteous, and they take refuge in this blessed man, Christ. And then there's the wicked who oppose the Lord and his anointed Christ. You remembered that, didn't you? Yeah. yeah. Great. Well done. So, and Psalm 1 and 2. So we're back there tonight with a little focus on Psalm 2 before communion. Basically, there's a contrast tonight in the psalm. There is a man who's a, who's a righteous anointed man, and he's having a war, particularly in Psalm 2, against a group, the plural, the wicked, and in Psalm 2, the wicked are also called like kings, sinners, and rulers, or mockers, all who hate this blessed Lord's anointed man. Okay? All right. And Psalm 2 teaches us this tonight. Judgment is coming for those who oppose the Lord's anointed blessed man. His judgment. Okay. Um, life is going to be tough in many ways. Basically, let me say this. In the Bible, it says this. It's a dangerous thing to oppose Jesus. Now, safety, if you look at the Bible, is pretty much a myth. Even for church, what you find is suffering is pretty much guaranteed to all of us. 
So we can go home tonight to our really lovely houses. You can get a double locked front door to block out all trouble and evil, but you still find that even for church, heart attacks happen for church members, or strokes, or cancer, or difficulties. In the Bible, Paul says for church people, they get afflicted for even following Jesus. Peter says, fire will come upon the church if they follow the real Jesus. People are just going to persecute them. Even for church, in some respects, safety is a myth. Timothy says this to church, to us tonight, if we desire to live a godly life tonight, we will be persecuted. So there's difficult times for the church. In that, though, he keeps his church. In Psalm 2, you find the trouble that comes against people who are outside of the church and who hate the Lord's anointed king. Now, who are this wider group? Um, in Psalm 1, verse 4, not so the wicked, they're like chaff, they're blown away, they will not stand in the judgment. Who are this group? All right, okay. It's people... Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners. So this group who oppose Jesus, who are heading for tough times against him, are uh, what this uh, Psalm 1 and 2 say, wicked people. They're like, well, what does that mean? Who's that? Okay, James chapter 2 verse 10 says this. Now listen to this. Whoever keeps the whole law of God but fails in one point becomes accountable for all of it. That means pretty much if you've ever broken the law of God in any way, we're guilty tonight because the Bible says where he is is perfect. Heaven is perfect. So there cannot be even one iota of evil there. So it's like, am I good enough for heaven? Well, the standard is perfection. Um, I was chatting with Richard this afternoon how I misplaced an apostrophe in one of our social media tweets, and I was absolutely devastated because I have a degree in English literature and have a book out, and I'm like, I, I was like, Rita, I can't believe it. Complete devastation. And deeply humbled by Richard's grammar as he corrected me. Basically, a misplaced apostrophe in an exam which requires perfection basically leads you to get an F, doesn't it? If the examination requires perfection. So I failed that with a big F. Now, growing up, I often hear sermons about sin. And I don't know if you ever think this, but you hear a preacher hammering some sorts of sins and you're thinking, Oh, I wish so-and-so is here to hear this. <laughs> they could do with hearing this. Do you ever think that? I was a bit like that. Oh, I wish my mum or dad or my sister particularly needs to hear this one. You know. But Psalm 2 and Psalm 1 is quite humbling. And James chapter 2. This group who opposed the Lord, like it shines a spotlight on us. Oh, right. Maybe, maybe I have sinned. And in that sense have waged war against King Jesus who asks me to love him. 
and love my neighbor as much as ourselves. Psalm 1 and 2 basically confront us to say this tonight. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Um, and really asks us to ask these questions tonight. What about our, if, how are we going to stand in that great day with our selfishness and sinfulness and impatience and anger and bad spirit towards one another. Now, Psalm 1 and 2 says this, blessed is the man. And we looked at it last week. There's one man who does not sin, who does delight in the law of his God, who does meditate on it day and night, and it's not us. He doesn't have to have his arm twisted behind his back to get into the Bible and learn more about his father. And that man is the Lord's anointed king, Jesus. And Psalm 2 verse 12 says this, Blessed are those who take refuge in him. Kiss the son. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. So I guess my question tonight is, as we come to the table, are we taking refuge in him? Have we the guts to admit, all right, we're not good enough, but he is, and we are clinging on to him. In him, we take refuge. Now, here's a quiz. Um, how many times in the New Testament does this term come up? Be in Christ. Get in Christ. Take refuge in Christ. It basically means trust, cling on, look to him, feed from him, follow him. Anyone want to have a guess? Um, go on, fire something else just to stay awake. Um, go on. Don't like say 5,000 because it's less than that. And you don't want to put it so high that the actual answer doesn't sound so impressive. But go on. 50 more more uh, all right less so the answer is 217 times just in the new testament is the term um in are you in christ blessed are those who are in christ now if rita says something to me 217 times she wants me to get it doesn't she owen like i always lock myself out of my house so on a daily basis take your keys and why does she have to keep telling me because I'm dull and you have to keep telling dull people the same thing over and over again because the church keeps forgetting we are blessed when we're in Jesus get in him and you're blessed that's what Psalm 2 says so our lives will begin to truly praise the Lord when we grasp this. Christ doesn't keep his blessedness to himself. He shares it with his church, and he wants us to join him tonight in the righteousness that he has and that he gives to a church which has fallen short of the glory of God. Now, the Trinity. God has the Lord's anointed appointed to rule over all. And we share in that blessing via the Spirit. The Trinity is at work. Um, I love it. 
But here, the Lord says, kiss his son and take refuge in him. Now, so we're Trinitarian. Some religions are Unitarian, right? Which basically means just the Father is God. Jesus isn't God. The Spirit isn't God. Just the Father. Here's why I love Trinitarian theology. Because it shows that God shares himself with people. He shares, he wants people with him. The thing with Unitarian God is, right, if you only have a father who's God, not loving his son and then his church, you have a God who has spent all eternity basically just looking in the mirror, admiring himself, because there's no one to really share his love with. What you find with Unitarian religions are this. The Father is always male. So, what you find is in Unitarian religions, masculinity is a real powerful thing. And poor old women, they get relegated right down because true power is male. So, you find in these religions, women are way down in the pecking order. You also find, because the Father is spirit, and Jesus, whose man, isn't God, to be truly godly, you have to be spirit. So anything physical is evil. So that's why you often get in these religions, you have to cover yourself up. Because tr to be truly godly is just to be inwardly introspective and religious and Nothing physical can be enjoyed. So often, poor women, again, are demanded to cover up absolutely everything. And you have these male-centric, harsh rulers and please them or you are doomed. Okay? With the Trinitarian God, you have a Lord who appoints his own blessed son, who's a human, to gather people up and be human with him. It spills to us. He is life. And here is the father warning his enemies tonight. Kiss my son. I've sent him for lost and sinful people. Be like him. Trust him. It's the very best. Which is why in Psalm 1 verse 4 it says this. The wicked are like chaff. They just dry up. Because they're outside of life. And Jesus is like this tree that's planted that causes people to blossom. He's like by a river of life. That's why in Psalm 1, the judgment is, you're going to be like chaff if you don't have the living God. You're not living the life that you were designed to have, and you're going to blow around. So many of my loved ones just don't love Jesus, and they don't want to. And that's such a tragedy. It is a tragedy. Um, someone said this, no one is as blind as the man who will not see. So as we lift Jesus up now as a church in the week, we have to pray that our people will just say, I will bow my knee to Jesus. It is the best thing for me. Because Psalm 2 moves us to a battlefield where the Lord's king is opposed. It's quite a scary thing. And if I could sum Psalm 2 up in a sentence tonight, it would be this. It's not a good idea to oppose King Jesus. 
So in Psalm 2, there are a group of people who are called rebels. They're not necessarily overtly wicked, but they just refuse to follow the Lord's anointed. People who just outright say never to King Jesus. It's a dangerous thing. John chapter 15, Jesus says this, I am the vine. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's a tragedy. And you get in verse 3 what this rebellious group are saying. And this was me until I was 20 years old and I just asked the Lord to forgive me. Here's verse 3. Let us break the chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. There's a picture in Psalm 2 of the Lord and his anointed and they put like a rope around rebellious humanity and they're trying to hold them close to themselves. And the group are there going... Get off us. Let us break their chains. We do not want them. That's quite a summary of the UK in 2020, isn't it? Get away from me. And the Lord's like, hold them close because it's a tragedy if they break from us. They don't know how to live without us. Um, John Lennox, who's a mathematician and professor, he actually went to Macintosh Place when he was a student in um, Cardiff. You've probably heard of him. Anyway, he said this in a debate recently, which I read about. So much of human history is based on the Jewish Christian laws. Now we're removing it and getting rid of Jesus and his church. It's a free-for-all, and we'll find we can't put the brakes on where we're going. Everyone will end up doing right in their own eyes. And soon we will hear the most unbelievable things being passed as normal. And everyone else will be afraid to say something's wrong. It's exactly the picture in Psalm 2. Don't break away from us, says the Lord and his anointed. We need these boundaries. Do you remember watching Titanic with Leonardo DiCaprio at the front of the ship? And he's like, I'm the king of the world. And in like seven minutes time, the entire thing is in the bottom of the ocean. It's about to go down. That's what Psalm 2 says. If you wage war against the Lord's anointed, it's such a pathetic attempt because he is installed as king. We end up going down. He always wins. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. Laughs. And then it gets pretty heavy. Let me just reread 6 to 9. I have installed my king, says the Lord, on my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Um, you will rule with a scepter and dash your enemies to pieces. Um, the Lord Jesus is king tonight. He's king. And mutiny is futile. Now let me tell you another verse in the Bible. It says this in Ezekiel chapter 18. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. That is why this church exists, because God wants people to come back to him. So how is it, at one verse it says God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, 
But here it says the Lord laughs at their attempts against him. How do you square those two up? The answer is this. The Lord in heaven laughs at their attempts to sort of dethrone him. He does not laugh at their end. I put it to you like this. The Lord Jesus cares about the death of the wicked so much that is exactly why he came to be crucified. The Father in heaven cares about lost people more than any of us. He does not want them to face him with their sin because he has to deal with it. So he sent his son. And their pathetic attempts to dethrone Jesus, he laughs at them. Um, I don't know if you know this, but um, I love examples when people try and dethrone Jesus and they don't get anywhere. Do you remember the high priest? Um, the role of the high priest in the Old Testament was to inspect the lamb before it would be killed um, with the people's sins on it. You remember that picture in the Old Testament? And then Jesus comes along, who is the lamb. And do you remember that high priest Caiaphas who hated Jesus and sort of um, arranged that fake trial in the middle of the night and then was bombarding Jesus with questions. Who are you? And do you remember Jesus didn't say anything back? Do you know why Caiaphas was doing that? Caiaphas wanted to murder Jesus because he hated him. But Caiaphas was the high priest at the time. And what he didn't know was he was doing exactly what the high priest always had to do before the lamb was slain for the sins of the people. He was inspecting Jesus to see if he was spotless. And he didn't even know it, but the Lord was working it for good. Jesus had to be inspected as a worthy sacrifice, a lamb for his people. Caiaphas is like, I want you dead. And even in that, Jesus was overseeing it all. This has to happen. I have to die for my people. I have to defeat death and sin for my people. And he even gives the very breath to the people who end up killing him. But he laughs at their attempts to get rid of him forever. It means this for you Christians tonight. God is sovereign. He has you all. He will work things the good. John Newton said this, how unspeakably wonderful to know that all our concerns are held in the hands that bled for us. How unspeakably wonderful to know that all of our concerns are held in hands that bled for us. When I was down in the dumps about 15 years ago, my friend said to me, you're a Christian now, Owen. You don't have the luxury of despair. I was like, what? Hang on, let me indulge a bit in my misery. And he's like, ah, the Lord has his anointed king. He is working all things for good. Trust him. And I was like, oh, all right, isn't it? We don't have the luxury of despair. He's working everything for good. And this morning, we read in Ephesians 1, God has placed all things under Jesus' feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church. Everything which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. I read about Christians being persecuted um, 
recently, like thousands even in the last two months have been killed for following Jesus. And we're to pray for them. And we do pray for them on Tuesdays. Do you remember? Well, you, you don't remember because it was in the 15th century and none of you were alive. But um, did you read about that? There was a false religion that rose up in the 15th century and they deliberately targeted Christians in Constantinople, in Turkey. And they basically started slaughtering them all. So what happened? And, and people were tempted there to go, oh no, it's all over. Jesus has been dethroned. What are we going to do? All of the people are being persecuted. What happened was, in the 15th century, with this uprising of this religion, the scholars picked up their manuscripts of the New Testament and the Old Testament and legged it west. And what they did, they actually came west with their manuscripts because they were persecuted. And their manuscripts found their way into the hands of a, um, a little Dutch Christian theologian called Erasmus, who started sort of ciphering them off and translating them a bit. And then they found their way into the hands of a German monk called Martin Luther. And you know what happens next. Boom. Um, the Protestant Reformation. And I'm just always mindful. Yep, people mean it for evil. But Jesus always wins. He always wins. And I hope that's a blessing for you tonight. And this psalm ends with a warning. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry. If he is life and you run from him, where is there to go but death? Don't do it, says Psalm 2. There's lots of Jesuses being worshipped in churches today. He's not often the one of the Bible who is also judge. And here in Park End, we will follow the God who is also judge, and he is good in his judgment. And we all need to get to the place where we say, yes, Lord, your way is right. And if you remove evil from the earth, we will trust you and run to you. Park End Church, kiss the sun tonight. Know his forgiveness. Know his sovereign guidance. Guide, guidance and may in this difficult psalm we find comfort and follow King Jesus and then we are called the righteous assembly gathered here tonight around his name for his name's sake we pray Amen <laughs>